0: Where I live Intruder alert Intruder alert Welcome aboard Captain Fighter pilots needed in Sector Wars Play Astro Blaster r 2 to increase the power Hi friends, and welcome back to the Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast. This time, we're going to be discussing Nintendo's 1983 arcade classic platformer, Mario Brothers. Now just before we jump into the history of this title, I wanted to first give a big thank you to the Ten Pence Arcade Podcast, who are members of the Throwback Review Network. The show's hosts, Victor Marlin and Sean Hawley, were kind enough to give this little podcast a shout-out on their Mr. Driller episode, and I totally wanted to return the favor. I'll be sure to include a link to their excellent podcast in the post over at the Retroist. Victor and Sean, thank you once again. Mario Brothers was developed for Nintendo by Shigeru Miyamoto and Gunpei Yokoi. I hope I'm not butchering their names too much. Now, Miyamoto, as most of you listeners are aware, is quite frankly an icon of video game design. He developed that little-known 1981 arcade hit for Nintendo called Donkey Kong. In fact, some of the creative suggestions by Yokoi led to the development of the Mario Brothers game. Yokoi felt that in Donkey Kong, when Jumpman fell from a small height, players shouldn't be penalized alive. But Miyamoto thought that if the characters could fall freely it wouldn't be much of a game. Jumpman, of course, would later be renamed Mario after his appearance in 1982's Donkey Kong Jr., The famous story told by Miyamoto is that Nintendo of America's first landlord, an Italian-American with a fiery temper, barged in one afternoon demanding the rent, and they decided that perhaps Mario was a better name than Jumpman. Miyamoto went on to not just Donkey Kong Jr., but the often overlooked Donkey Kong 3, as well as the Mario Brothers sequel, Super Mario Brothers, and The Legend of Zelda, to name just a very few. Yokoi, sadly, was tragically killed in 1999, when after accidentally rear-ending a truck, upon inspecting the damage, he was struck by two passing cars. Yokoi was perhaps famously responsible for the creation of Nintendo's successful Game & Watch series, and the worldwide behemoth that was the 1989 Game Boy. He also was the one to come up with the D, or cross-pad, that most gaming controllers still possess. Now judging by the flyers for Mario Brothers, while there were some wide-body cabinets produced for the game, Nintendo seems to have released the majority as a conversion kit to arcade owners to switch out the likes of Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr. and Popeye, machines that might not be sucking in the quarters like they used to when released back in 1981 and 1982. When an operator ordered a Nintendo pack, that is spelled P-A-K by the way, they would receive new side art to be placed on the cabinets, a new marquee top, new control panel, and what is called a front plex, which I believe is their term for the bezel art. Now, I may not be 100% correct on most Mario Bros. being conversion kits, but it would sure explain why most I've seen look like they are using Popeye and Donkey Kong Jr. cabinets. It's been reported that Miyamoto was greatly inspired by the two-player gameplay on John Newcomer's 1982 Williams hit, Joust. So he decided for Mario Brothers to let two players simultaneously take on the roles of Mario and his brother Luigi, helping or throwing a wrench into the game depending on who you're playing it with. This is the first time Luigi was introduced in the Mario lore, by the way, even if this was accomplished by merely a color palette swap. It's been said that Luigi's name was chosen because of a pizza parlor that was close to the Nintendo of America's headquarters in Redmond, Washington. I can assure you that while both characters play exactly the same, that from my time at the Arcadia Retrocade, there are players who do prefer to play only as Luigi. Where in Donkey Kong, Mario seemed to be employed as a carpenter or possibly a construction worker. In Mario Brothers, he and Luigi must travel underground to try and repair the issues with the sewers. Those issues being the emergence of strange creatures, or pests as they are sometimes called, from the two pipes at the top of the levels, with one located on each of the right and left hand side of the screens. The enemies will make their way towards the bottom of the stage and exit through two bottom pipes also on the right and left sides to re emerge again at the top. There are a set number of enemies that have to be dispatched by Mario and Luigi before clearing the level and progressing. Players control Mario and Luigi with the aid of a two-way joystick, which allows control of movement to the left and the right. There is also the addition of a jump button as well. Player 1 will always control Mario, with Luigi going to Player 2. To be honest, Mario and Luigi aren't exactly light on their feet. They just don't stop moving immediately when you stop pressing the joystick, especially when the element of ice is introduced on the platforms later in the game. If the two brothers come into contact with each other, they will bounce backwards or if you manage to use the other player's head as a stepping stone, you will halt their jump immediately. The good news is the layout for the platforms you use in each stage stays 100% the same throughout the game, which helps tremendously as you will have your hands full taking out those creatures and worrying about other obstacles later in the higher stages. I've watched hundreds of new players have their first game of Mario Brothers, and 99% of them think they can have Mario or Luigi just bounce on an enemy to take them out. That sadly will not work in this game. Coming into contact with anything but a coin just immediately costs you a life. Another aspect of each stage is if you or an enemy walk to the end of the screen on one side and keep going, you will emerge on the opposite side. And while this is a good idea for getting out of harm's way, it also means that sometimes you have to be careful of some creatures coming up from behind you. To dispatch an enemy, Mario and Luigi must position themselves under a pest and leap up, slamming the platform above with their fist, which, depending on the enemy, either flips them onto their back or head where they can be safely kicked off the platform, at least for a few seconds, or it just makes them angrier and faster, needing a second hit from underneath to finally flip them on their backside or noggin. I'll go into more detail with that when I start talking about the various enemies players will encounter. Although Mario and Luigi you can only run and jump in mario brothers they do have the aid of a powerful device known as the pow button or block which is located in the center of the screen at the bottom of the stage jumping up into it registers as a hit for any creature on a platform for good or ill and by that i mean if an enemy was already on their back if you hit that pow button it will flip them back on their feet you can probably see how things can quickly get complicated with two players Say you're rushing across a platform to kick one of those enemies off, and another player hits that POW. Boom! You are suddenly skidding into a deadly enemy again. Of course, to be honest, you don't need the POW button to have this happen if the person you are playing with happens to be new to the game or rather nasty. They can just jump up and right the enemy with a punch from underneath themselves. The POW block has one other advantage. It's a safe spot for Mario or Luigi to jump up on if the bottom level is momentarily crawling with enemies. The POW block can be used a total of three times before it disappears, but it will reset after the bonus stages, though that doesn't apply on the first bonus stage you encounter. Let's just go ahead and talk about those bonus stages. Beginning on round, or stage 3, the players will have 20 seconds to collect 10 gold coins positioned on the screen, and thankfully, they are in the same place on every bonus stage. For every coin you grab, you get 800 points with a bonus of 5,000 points if the players manage to grab them all. The next bonus stage will be presented on stage 8 and then continue to be presented every 7 rounds. But from now on, you only have 15 seconds to collect those coins. If you collect all those coins though, you will now get 8,000 bonus points. That second time you encounter the bonus stage, you also have to worry about the platforms being covered with a layer of ice, so it's very easy to miss your jumps and slide off the platforms. When, and if, you get to the third bonus stage, which would be round 15, the platforms become invisible and will stay that way. It certainly feels like Miyamoto wanted players to work for those bonus points, right? Oh! I should also mention that coins will spit out of the pipes on normal levels, appearing after you've just taken out one of the pests. These coins will behave like an enemy, traveling down to the bottom of the stage, except in the case of coins, when they enter the bottom pipes, they will not reappear again at the top. Players will receive 800 points for each coin collected. Now, let's discuss the types of enemies or pests that Mario and Luigi will face down in the sewers. The first you will encounter, and the easiest to dispatch, is the Shell Creeper. When they emerge from the pipes, these green-hued enemies will look very familiar to Super Mario Bros. fans, as they are almost the spitting image of a Koopa Turtle. It takes just a single hit from underneath to flip them on their backs. Now, earlier, I mentioned you have a few seconds of safety to kick an overturned enemy off a platform. This is done by having Mario or Luigi run over and make contact with the enemy. But, if you take too long, the enemy will ride right itself, changing color, purple in the case of a Shell Creeper, and become faster and more aggressive. An enemy will also change color when it's the last you will face on a stage, and it becomes very, very fast, often forcing a player to attempt to outrun or position themselves out of reach of the racing pest. If a player can manage to kick off multiple overturned enemies in a row within a few seconds, they earn bonus points, starting with 800 points, then 1600, 24, and it levels off at 3200 points. Also, the enemies players will face after emerging from a pipe will head in one direction, dropping to the next level when they reach the end of the platform they are moving upon. The creatures will continue in their direction unless they come in contact with another enemy a coin, or Mario & Luigi, which will end a life, of course. Upon contact, they will turn around and head in the other direction. After dealing with the Shell Creepers for a couple levels, and once you get past that first bonus stage, you will meet the Sidestepper, which is quite frankly a very angry crab. These guys require two hits from underneath a platform to knock them on their heads. After that first punch, they are knocked back, and with an angry face, begin to move quicker. If they manage to right themselves, however, they will change colors to blue and become much faster. When the last enemy on a stage is a sidestepper, they will change to a pink color and take off after you like an angry rocket. Now, listeners, bear in mind that in many of these stages, the player won't just be facing one type of pest, an obstacle, but multiple combination of enemies. So the game will keep you constantly moving to keep up. Before we get to the last true enemy you will face in Mario Bros., I think I should talk about the fireballs that can be encountered on all stages but the bonus levels. There are two types of fireballs, and they will appear if the game feels you are taking too much time to clear a stage. The red-hued fireballs are rather slow, but bounce diagonally throughout the stage. If they come in contact with the side of a screen, they they will bounce off of it and keep moving around the stage. The second type is the green fireballs, which only appear on one level of the stage, and quickly bounce all the way from one side of the screen to the other before vanishing. Now, each of these fireballs can be destroyed by a well-timed punch, but only if they happen to be touching the platform, like one of the pests. If you defeat a red fireball, you will net 1,000 points, with a green fireball's defeat earning you 200 points. But, after destroying one, it will eventually return, and be much faster when it appears. And in the later stages, when multiple fireballs begin to appear, a player can find themselves spending more time dodging them instead of the pests in the sewers. Beginning on stage six, you will encounter the fighter fly. I want to point out that I hate these guys. More often than not, I'll be taken out by these horrid beasties when I'm playing the game. While the fighter flies only need a single punch from underneath to knock them on their insect-like heads, they do move by taking small leaps, bouncing across the platforms. So you have to chase after them and position yourself where they're going to land. You can only knock them over when their feet are on a platform. Beginning on round 9, and I don't really consider these true enemies, you will meet the Slip Ice. The sentient and frowning moving pieces of ice have one sole purpose, and that's to find a platform and melt, thereby adding a slick layer of ice on it. Mario and Luigi can take them out with just one hit from underneath. They're worth 500 points. Dispatching the Slip Ice, however, doesn't count towards the number of pests to clear the level. And finally, there is one other deadly obstacle that Mario and Luigi must contend with, and that begins on round 16, just after the third bonus stage. Starting as a drop of water hanging underneath the top platform, they will quickly freeze and become icicles. They will stay there for a few seconds before dropping straight down to the floor below. If Mario and Luigi happen to come into contact with an icicle, it means the loss of a life. But, when they first appear as drops, they can be dispatched with a single jump up and hit. The world record holder for Mario Bros. for a single player game stands at 5,424,920 points. This was accomplished by Steven Kleseth on October 16, 2015. The world record holder for a two-player game is Stephen again and Stephen Boyer, with 1,517,380 points. I think that really proves how difficult a two-player game can be. Their high score was accomplished together on August 14th, 2015. At the Arcadia Retrocade, the high score holder for Mario Bros. is Michael Dietrich, with 226,360 points. I actually had the high score on the game for the longest time. Maybe Michael and I need to team up and see if we can't give that twin galaxy two-player score run for its money. And now this message. Hey Mr. Arcade! Junior's trying to save his papa. We're trying to help, but he's having a hard time. It's Donkey Kong Jr. Mario's captured Donkey Kong, and Junior has to rescue him. I can help, Junior. <laughs> The official tabletop version of Donkey Kong Jr. Well, there's Mario. And Donkey Kong and Jr. That's okay, Jr. Come on. Now let's take you home to save, Papa. And now Mr. Arcade shrinks prices with a $10 rebate on all Coleco tabletop arcade games. Something's coming up, the plumbing, poor Luigi's in a bind. Giant turtles out to get him, creepy crabs are right behind. Fighter flies, cheaper they're all coming out the pipes. It's Atari Mario Brothers, with Mario from Donkey Kong, his brother Luigi, and lots of crazy creatures. And it's twice the fun when two play at once, because you need all the help you can get. Mario, where are you? Mario Brothers, new from Atari. Canoli, kids. I'm Mario, and I'm telling you, if you're not watching the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, you're gonna turn into a Goomba. Don't be the last on your block to be playing with pasta power. Tune in for the wildest weekday fun in the universe. Join me, Luigi, Princess Toadstool, and Toad. We're gonna kick some Koopa. Woo! The Super Mario Brothers Super Show. Afternoons at four in Channel 43's Kids Land. Now, shockingly enough, and most people blame it for the video game crash, Mario Brothers, while absolutely groundbreaking in game design, didn't actually do all that well in sales. However, it still had numerous home ports. In fact, those sales might very well have helped Miyamoto come up with its immensely popular sequel in 1985 with Super Mario Brothers. Mario Brothers was ported to the likes of the Apple II, the Atari 2600, which could only display two enemies at a time, but did allow two players to play at the same time. It was also ported for the Atari 5200, the Atari 7800, and Atari XE. But those ports came along starting in 1988. The Commodore 64 received a port, but only in the European market. Atari Soft, it seems, had worked on a version, but it never officially saw the light of day. It was in 1987 when Ocean Software released their version overseas. The Amstrad CPC and ZX Spectrum also were given ports of the game. The Famicom and Nintendo Entertainment System saw ports in 1983, but surprisingly these versions didn't feature the icicles, nor in the bonus stages were players ever faced with the invisible platforms. It was in 1988 when these features were put back in for the Famicom Disk System add-on release. This version of course is more arcade accurate. Now, when Super Mario Bros. 3 came out, it included a type of mini-game stage resembling Mario Bros. Players could find it when they both tried to land on the same cleared square the world map. In this mini-game, five enemies would emerge from the pipes, and whomever defeated the most enemies or just survived the longest would be taken back to the world map and allowed to continue playing through. In 2002, the Game Boy Advance received Mario Bros. in the form of an e-reader card. And a year later, it was included in the Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. And last but not least, the 2013 Nintendo Wii U Super Mario 3D World contains Luigi Brothers, which naturally stars Luigi. There have been a couple of hacks of Mario Brothers over the years, with titles like Fish Brothers, where players naturally look like fish. The aquatic versions, not Abe Vigoda's character from Barney Miller. Although, that would be awesome too. You hear me, homebrew designers? Let's get that done, okay? You also had Cooper Brothers, where you could play as Shell Creepers. Then there was Pikachu Brothers, where, yep, you could totally play as characters that looked a little like Pokemon's Pikachu. Mario Brothers happens to be a game I was first introduced to at that fabled showbiz pizza of my youth. In fact, it shared space right beside Donkey Kong Jr. and Popeye. At the Arcadia Retrocade, it was one of the earlier titles that Shay obtained. He bought it before the doors were open to the players. It shares a spot next to Donkey Kong 3 with Dr. Mario on the other side. And I think that about wraps up our podcast for this go around. The Diary of an Arcade Employee podcast has a Facebook page now. We would appreciate it if you could hop on over and give us a like. It's a great spot to share your own arcade memories and enjoy the celebration of classic arcade and home video games. Our ending theme, which is entitled River Raid, was composed by the extremely talented Tony Longworth. You can listen to even more of his music on SoundCloud and on his official site, which you can reach at www.tonylongworth.com. Friends, if you have any feedback for the show or perhaps a suggestion for a game to cover, you can reach me at vixage at RetroS.com. Diary of an Arcade Employee is, of course, available for download on iTunes. For further information about the Arcadia Retrocade, please make sure to follow them over on their Facebook page. I'll be sure to provide a link on the Retroist post. Of course, I want to give a huge thanks to the Retroist. When you need your daily retro fix, why not visit the Retroist site at www.retroist.com? Have a token on me as we listen to a clip of the game I will discuss on the next show. has been a Retroist production. Goodbye, and we hope to see you next time. End of line.